Footy Prime, the podcast is brought to you by Tony Bet, official sponsor of the CPL and presenting sponsor of Canada's unofficial voice of footy. Hi, you've reached James, Craig, Hairman B, fucking Jimmy, and Steve Chang. Leave, Leave a message after, after the beep. beep. Oh yeah. Fucking roommates, eh? This is a message for Danny Dickier. How I miss you, young man. My cellar is so empty without you. Uh, let's get this party started. And another sherry! Liverpool! Shaman's here and Dunlop's here, Forrest and, and Wonger and Jimmy Brennan belled us about an hour ago, said he had tickets for the Raptors game. So that started off really well. And then we come on and Craig's delay was about 11 seconds. We think that's been figured out now just about. I just jumped in and out of our little program here because I was breaking up as well. Wonger's computer isn't working at all. He's on his phone. Um, Paul Peschka is going to join us. So Craig thought, well, let's ask him to come on the show right now, but forgot to tell him the now part. So Pesci just got told now, and at some point he'll join us, I, I think. But it's Fate Prime, the podcast, the way it <laughs> should be. Hello, everyone. How you doing, fellas? Great. I think it should be in person, though. Oh, we, that's soon. That's soon, B. With free beer. We got to get in the tent. There'd be less delay, wouldn't there? <laughs> well, it's fitting, though, that this podcast kind of gets all fucked up the same week that we celebrated the one-year anniversary of the uh, ill-fated Super League oh. in European football. Um, it's been a year. Can you believe that? It's flown by, oh. hasn't it? All the anger's still there and the disappointment, isn't it? But it's it's flown by, AB. Eh, it's wild. I can't believe it's been a calendar year. And honestly, revisiting that, I, I tweeted from the Footy Prime account on Wednesday, this video that we'd done. And those 48 hours, it was like 10 years worth of football importance happened in 48 hours. And then whoop, right back to the football. Like an international break. Remember that this last Canada international break captivated us and we were so enthralled for two whole weeks. And then it was just like, wake up for Aston Villa Everton at 730 on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. And but what's kept us really enthralled about that Super League thing is that all the villains have been taken to court and there's been <laughs> sanctions against them and justice. penalties and justice. Hey, eh, Gregor, so much justice yeah. is just insane. Yeah. Justice for the six. Yeah. I mean, I mean, looking back a year now, Craig, I mean, how how will those teams, do you think, um, continue and thrive amidst the sanctions? They've all been just crushed by. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Gary Neville, he, he was pretty vocal again. I mean, Gary Neville loves to hammer United nowadays, doesn't mm. he? They all and, do. And fair enough. Uh, where I had, oh, see, this is not going well. I had it all lined up, and now it's gone. But they are softening in a way, aren't they? I, Scholes was wait, like he just went. You know, I'm going to talk about Liverpool. What after that match? Yeah, he crushed United. Well, he did, but he wasn't like he he, he wasn't like he has been in the past. I think it, it's just, they're just getting tired of it. I th- yeah, that was my impression. That guy as well. Yeah, right. Uh, you can see it, and I think it even said he's like I'm lost for words. Lost, lost for words. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what else is there to say? I don't remember. I never went to Anfield and ever played in a team that you thought the game was over at two nil after twenty or after twenty minutes, and it wasn't even two nil. Like, yeah. Even our sides were 
competitive. At least put an effort in. But didn't you think the game was over before the whistle even went to kick off the match? It was one of the first time ever, ever when, when Liverpool play United, even the last you know couple of years when they've been poor, the first time ever I thought there's no chance Liverpool don't win this game handsomely. There's no chance. Well, I, I didn't. I think you're right. I don't think there was. I, I felt confident that they were going to win comfortably, but I also thought that it would be, you know, this monumental effort from Man United that everybody would expect. There was nothing there. There was nothing. It was. I, I've never seen anything like it. The worst. It, it was just pathetic. That first half in particular. I mean, for about 20 minutes in the second half, Liverpool kind of put the foot off the gas and, you know, look a little bit better. But that first half, I mean, there was no pressure. They made it, Liverpool looked great and Thiago looked as good as us in any player all year long. But a large part of that was because not one United player put any pressure on him whatsoever. They were walking around out there. It was absolutely pathetic. And I mean, you, you hear the studio people, you see the shot of Fergie in the stands. I mean, have you seen an old man look miserable? That, that that's the picture isn't it right there he looks so <laughs> upset um yeah I, I listen as as a reds fan i find it amusing of course but in some ways it's also a little bit sad to see how this empire has truly crumbled and it's not going to be a question of a transfer window a bit of money being thrown at this club it's got to change from the very top i think and even gary neville mentioned i found the tweet now finally he was saying uh, it's one year to the day the european super league was launched Six clubs in this country, including mine, were willing to destroy English football for their own greed. Twelve months on United fans are still angry and waiting for Joel Glazer to show us, as he promised, the Glazer family must go. So we can point fingers at this club, Craig, you know, from the pathetic performance of Paul Pogba before he was hurt, you know, the, the defense, Harry Maguire, don't know what happened to him. You can point all these fingers and the managers, but it comes from the top, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. This thing's broken from the very, very top that this ownership group that uses this club as a cash box mm-hmm. in a year where it's been bleeding money due to COVID and, and not being successful. You're right. And if you, uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to get uh, Paul's take on it, uh, but this international foreign ownership that comes in and uh, what they're in for it for um, is to actually make money, especially the Americans. Uh the Middle Easterns, they, they don't care because they're into it for different reasons. They, they've got deep pockets. They don't care about that. It's a different thing. But Kroenke at Arsenal is the same. He's not into it because he loves Arsenal and they want to win trophies. He's into it for the money. That's why he's into the NFL and all the other things. He's a gazillionaire and he, he doesn't care. I think we're seeing that. At, although uh, the American owners at Liverpool uh, seem to be doing a a great job. So it all depends on what you're into it for. But if you're getting into football specifically to to make money, um, you're probably in the wrong business. Well, I mean, the, the the other American ownership at Liverpool before John Henry were in it for the same reasons as the Glazers in Tom Hicks and George Gillette, remember? And it went down the crapper there. It seems like United's going through the same thing that, that Liverpool is going at that point. And uh, I guess they'll come out at some point. Hey, B, can we bring in uh, Pesh now? Yeah, let's get Pesh's take on this. Let's bring Paul Pesh Castillo. Now, we had Pesh on on Tuesday's show. And if you didn't listen to it, please do. He shared some absolutely classic stories. Gems. And we liked him so much, we thought we'd invite him back on the show once again to fill in for the uh, the Dilly Departed 
Jimmy Brennan. In fact, we, we might replace him. We, we did. We might place Jimmy, actually. We've hired him already. He's getting paid exactly the same as you guys. <laughs> oh, is it done? <laughs> Equal partner. That, how, that sound good, Pesci? Are you able to convert it uh, into pounds or you're one of those Bitcoin, Ethereum guys? I don't see Pesci or hear Pesci right now. No, I uh, I don't either. He's had enough. You know what? He he, he accepted the offer. <laughs> he came into the, the office for the first day and looked around and thought, what am I doing? I don't need this. I'll give you my best, Pesci. So, uh, I think I'm very posh. I'd like to uh, tell you all about footy and uh, Sean Dykey. Yeah, looking like Nobody him. says footy in England. <laughs> I tried my best. That might be the worst... Uh, Paul Peschke's leader accent I've ever heard in my life. Oh, but wow. Can we just dissect here what it is about those letters? Okay. It's the same letters. Why is it that, Wonger, you're not able to say Deitch or Deitch correctly? I don't know. I'm confused all the time. I think it's, I think it's an, an Asian, German, Madagascar, and Canadian thing. It, that and I'm dyslexic. That, that's why I went into television <laughs> and digi- digital video. So I don't have to talk to you guys too much. Well, thank P- Pesci's here now. Hey, Pesci, thanks again for joining us um, and bailing us out in this troublesome time when, when our former friend Jimmy Brennan screwed us over. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Feel free to say anything, Pesci. Oh, no, we've and lost, we just lost again. Pesci. Oh, this is going so well today, isn't it? Ah, I, I don't want to be the guy having to cut this. You know what? Technology doesn't always, it doesn't always work. Let's be it honest. It doesn't always work. We will get Pesci on again. If not today, he's going to join us uh, very shortly because uh, we're big fans of his, his take. But yeah, back to United and what, what's happening there. We can point fingers at the ownership, and I think we have. Um, at the same time, it's easier for fans, I think, to look at the players and the field there, be and just what's happened, what's going wrong, and just how bad they were in that match this week. I mean, as great as Liverpool were, 25 goal uh, passes to um, set up the second goal, for example. It looks amazing, but there's no pressure on the players whatsoever. I mean, have they just given up? Have they quit? What's your take? Sure, seemed it. I mean, every pundit was saying at halftime, and you can see how besieged Paul Scholes was, that he literally was exhausted, just done with it. Like, effort, you know, effort. And uh, it's a tricky word, I think, when you're a reporter and you bring that up amongst players. But it came up post-match for Bruno Fernandes, and there was a couple other United players that had come up to the mic, and you just knew that they, they anticipated that. They knew that's the word that was coming at some point. First question, second question. They were going to be questioned about their effort, and they seemed sick of it as well. But, um, I'm saying, at what point do you think Ralph Rannick will lose it? Um, here's Pesci now. Hey, Pesci, thanks for joining us, mate. Let's try this again here. Pleasure. We're talking about United and what we saw this week and what we've seen the last few months, years even, right? And I'm listening to Ralph Rannick before the match and post-match. He's, he's a classy guy, it seems like, and he's saying the right things. But at some point, do you think he's going to snap and start throwing these players under the bus? Because they are just not listening, obviously, to what he says. Well, I, I think he's probably very weary that he's looking to get the opportunity of moving upstairs. And if he does that, then the, the chance will be slim. Um, but how long is his tether? You know, he, the players, have, they've done him no favours whatsoever. They've gotten worse since, since Paul Scholes left. Uh, sorry, Paul Scholes. Um, since um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left. They've gone backwards. He could be right there. It could be since Paul, Paul Scholes yeah, left. No, honestly, but yeah, wow. Absolutely. Honestly, it's, it's a shambles. It's, a, it's, it's embarrassing to watch. They've lost identity completely. Um, players have just down tools. It looks to me as though there's perhaps infighting within the squad. Confidence is as, at, at its lowest ebb that I've ever seen. And um, 
you know, the, it, this, it's going to take a long time before this team's back uh, to where it belongs. But um, has she, have, you, have you ever seen a team like any team? I mean, even Shrewsbury, I think they went there and scored this year, put an effort in when the, the, the commentator, this is United we're talking about. They're like, like they were basically, and I was like, ooh, who, like, that's a dangerous comment when you're commentating over after 20 minutes. No, no. And, and, and this is not the first time this season. It's happening week in, week out. Like I watch them and I look at the lights. I watch a lot of West Ham, obviously. And West Ham are a better team. <laughs> They're literally a much better team than, than, than Man U. Uh, and, and they've managed to keep themselves in contention from the goals from Ronaldo. And that's it. But that's all they've got. Because they are, mm. they're lackluster. They don't close down. Like I said, no, no identity. They don't know. It, it, it's embarrassing to watch. And really, be, if they finish sixth or seventh, they've done extremely well because they're poor. Speaking about West Ham, the character of that team, bar none, is a group of really likable, working hard, working class type of players. Antonio's effort up front, everybody loves it. You got the Captain Noble in the dressing room cleaning up all the slop after. It should, that's what it looked like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> photo op. Yeah, photo op. But I know he's, 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 a, he's a top class guy, Noble, isn't Sasha, he? you're right. They've, just got, they've got the proper dressing room and, and you can see it. You know, you can see that everyone wants to die for one another. And, and I, I think Manu are probably looking out thinking, you know what? We should have kept Moyes. Because what he's generated there is exactly what, what, what Man United need. They need a, a strong dressing with strong characters, good lads, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't cause trouble out, well, apart from maybe Zuma. Uh, don't really cause trouble in the media. <laughs> no, but, but let's, let's be honest. They, they, they're fantastic, behave amazingly. Honestly, Declan Rice is, is a pleasure. He's, you watch him and you just think, this this kid is unbelievable. You know, he, everything he does on the pitch, off the pitch, you know, I've had the pleasure of, of speaking to him and he, you know, he makes a dart, uh, a beeline for, for whether it's the board members straight up, shaking hand, hi, how are he, he, He's wonderful. And that just, it, it just, that's, that's, that's the dressing room atmosphere there. And obviously Mark Noble is, is like that as well. Craig, you'd probably know, were you there when Nobles was there? Probably. No, he just came just after me, actually. I, yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> but, but it, it's great to see. And um, again, going back to Man United, it's a shambles. It really is a shambles. I know you say you were talking about Ranić, but I have to question Ranić. You know, he's gone in there and he's not doing well and the players aren't responding. To me, it looks as though they lack respect. And I, and I got to say, probably one of his biggest own goals, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but bringing in Anish, what, what's the assistant manager? Chris Armas. Bringing him in to Man United, I think it's an own goal because there's still that stigma of North American football. He's managed in the MLS. You're going to bring in your first team coach who, who managed teams in the MLS to Man United. There's going to be a snobbery. There's going to be players that are going to question that. And I think it was a terrible decision on his part to bring him in. Um, but again, that just shows what type of characters at Man U. They're not Man U characters, you know, because if you're professional, you, you, you get on with it. Whereas I think there's way too many egos in that dressing room. I really do. And, um, you know, that's been their downfall for the last six, seven years. How about the ownership? It's got to play a part. Absolutely. It, well, it does stem from the top. You know, I think I said to you guys before, the, the foreign owners, um, albeit, you know, maybe some of the Saudis, 
like like I was listening to you say, Craig, they have a different agenda. They've got deep pockets. They they want to own a football club so they can be accepted, you know, to be accepted in in, in this part of the world because obviously their countries perhaps they're not. Um, so they're, they're trying to make that mark, but the Americans have different different ideas. Or washing, we call it. Yeah, well, well, even even with the breakaway, you know, the breakaway kind of stemmed from most of the American owners because they can't get their heads around promotion relegation. Um, you know, in North America, you're you're in that league. You're never challenged. You're always, you know, you you don't have a, uh, you're not threatened with financial ruin if you get relegated. And they can't get their heads around this. But um, you know, that Super League, uh, that was that just told me everything, and I thought it was an absolute disgrace. And that worries me when, when you've got foreign investors that don't understand the culture of British football. Or don't get penalized. No, exactly. But, but Craig, I mean... Like what, what's going to start them, stop them from doing it? Sorry, Sharma. So what's going to stop them from doing it again? There's absolutely zero penalty against it. You know, obviously speaking of Karen, they, they've all got together. The other 16 clubs have got together and, and put, put some laws and regulations uh, that... Um, that uh, hopefully will stop them doing this in the future. But so, so okay, so ownership we know that you know, and, and ideally there's new ownership there, but that might not happen. They don't have to sell; um, they can avoid Old Trafford. They can keep doing what they're doing as, as simply as that. But if the players are bad characters, then obviously you need a shift there. Now, now Randick said this week uh, we need like ten new players. That's half a squad for crying out loud, right? How do you change that culture? Be you know this culture. Old Trafford. Um, to Roy Keane talk about this uh, this past week um, and, and just discussing how it was when Fergie was there, the hierarchy, the respect the players have for each other and for the manager. There was a culture in place there. How do you change that? Is it just by bringing new players in? Or is it the new might be Eric Ten Hag or whoever it's going to be implementing and, and demanding, demanding change? Because that's a big overhaul. If you're going to change that culture right now and change the whole mindset of that squad – that's going to be more than one window. You can't do it in one summer. It, it'll stem from the manager coming in and gaining the respect right away. There are some good players there, but they're just, they're down tools. Look, Marcus Rashford is a different player than he was, you know, six months ago. He, he, he looks a shambles. So the, there are good players. It's just, you need someone at the reins who they respect. If he gains that respect from the minute he walks in, by the way he carries himself, by the way he does his coaching sessions, it'll be a far easier easier transition than it's been with Renny. Hey, Pesci, I got a question. Uh, apologies to the listeners for the clicking internet, by the way. This is the yeah, world great. in which we live in, buddy. No, it's okay. It's okay. But uh, I really want an answer to this, if you, if you can share it at all. Thinking about Eric Ten Hag and just how you mentioned managers, you know, when it comes to recruitment, if there's been players that Ajax have scouted that he's been in conversations with, are those players off the table? How, how does that? How does one club like Ajax protect themselves in losing a manager um, that you know is going to a much larger scouting network with much greater resources? Clubs can't put clauses in contracts saying you're not unable to take certain players. Um, that would be done with with the opposing football club. Understood. But there's got to be people that he's scouted. Like most managers, they've always got one or two players that they absolutely love and can't go without. Uh, that they tend to bring from club to club to club. So I'm sure he's got ideas in his own mind. Uh, I'm sure he's had these conversations with the board at Manu already, and they must have discussed, um, you know, what he what he's got to spend, and and he's probably given them ideas, spoken to the, the um, to the director of football on who he, who he wants to bring in. Hey Craig, do you think that when it comes to Ten Hag 
he's looking at United. He's probably scouting them as much as anyone right now. Do you think he, he isn't that upset that they've hit rock bottom now? And there really is one way to go, I, I think. I mean, they're still competing for fourth place, like Pesci said there, which is crazy, which might be more of an indictment on the other teams in the Premier League right now. Um, but the performances have been ab- abysmal, far worse than the results, in fairness. But do you think he's... Do you think that's, that's, that's the point at this point? He's thinking, man, you know what? I'm going to go now because I can be the savior. If I finish in fourth next year or even in fifth with good performances, mm. I've made progress. Yeah, well, you have to think so, as opposed to when David Moyes pops in there right after Alex <laughs> Ferguson. You know, I mean, everybody saw that new football, Pesci, if you could agree with this, that the team was in decline. They were very fortunate that particular year. They went into the season, Alex Ferguson, see you later. But he knew that there was big changes coming and it was always going to be hard for the next guy. Virtually impossible. I think for the next guy. Yeah. I, I don't care who they would have got um, after Fergie. There was always going to be a low. And like Craig said, the, the, this, I think Fergie noticed that the team was um, getting old and it aged. He had won that. The, the, the last time they won the league, it was, it was by miracle. Really? Um, he didn't have the squad for it. It was purely down to the Fergie factor. So, you know, he got it at the right time. But even if they were at their best to, to come in and try to replace Fergie, it, it was an impossible job. No one could have done it. Because I look back now and I, I've obviously witnessed what he's done at West Ham. And he was the, he was the right appointment, just the, just the wrong time. Now, if you look at Man City and you look at Liverpool, do I think that they, if, if, when they lose Guardiola, will they be able to keep up the same type of football, the same type of success without him. I think it'll be the same thing as Fergie. And I think the same thing will happen with Klopp. Sorry, mate, to say. But, you know, when you've got someone who's so brilliant and and has had the chance and the time um, to get his philosophy across and, and do what he's done, when they leave, there's going to be a down, down, downfall from it, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that as well. And, you know, you mentioned you asked me what I thought of Stephen Gerrard's appointment and everyone assumes that he's just going to replace Klopp. And I wonder if part of him going to the Premier League now in this type of position is to not be the next one after Klopp, but to be the second one after Klopp and in between. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about Moyes earlier um, and describing, you know, uh, look at him now, I feel like, I've, I truly feel Moyes needed that experience, that failure at United to be able to command the room that he did now. And what United did was repeat the mistake of bringing in a guy that the room, the current room, wouldn't respect from day one, that they didn't think, you know, was up to the billing. You look at all the strong heads that were in there when Moyes showed up and Giggs taking him aside on preseason. Like, you can't have us running on the beach in Australia. Like, this is Manchester United. And all of those kind of little things that he had to learn and observe. And Ranjit comes in, yeah, oh, I did it at Red Bull. I've done it at these German clubs that no one here has ever watched. He didn't have the respect of the room from the get-go. They shot themselves in the foot there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's another statement on the players, right? I mean, your professionals, whoever's your gaffer, whether it's interim, whether it's on a five-year contract, whether it's Alex Ferguson, you you should respect the guy at least, give him a chance. But it doesn't seem those players gave him any chance whatsoever. And quite frankly, if they kept Ole Gunnar Solskjaer around, I don't think they'd be any worse off than they are now. In fact, who knows? I mean, maybe they'd be better off. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. At least the players had some semblance of respect for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for what he did. That's, that what, that's just football in the modern day, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it, yeah. it, everybody's watching social media and the pressures that are put on coaches and the fans get all on it. And it's, you know, you're, you've got this 
worry about being relegated and the devastating factor that that brings in. I mean, look at Burnley. We just talked about them. Just knee-jerk reaction. Eight games left. Don't even have somebody in, uh, ready to go. And, you know, some bizarre decisions are made in football. Um, yeah, it's funny that you've got these multi-billionaire people who run the most successful companies in the world. And the minute they buy a football club, all all um, business logic goes out the window and they just make ridiculous decisions. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's just the beautiful game does that to you. It makes you go crazy. It's so true. It's like they're the over-romanticized, you know, they, they're these cutthroat business moguls and then they get into that, that theater yeah. and the, the, these, these fans, hundreds of thousands of fans pouring adulation at their yeah. property and they lose all reality. Yeah. yeah. But that's exactly what it is, right? It's instant feedback. And I think that that's more so been measured with social media where there's an immediate measurement where they can read and see, wow, this move garnered this reaction and they respond to that. And we see that in our profession with big business, big telecom owning media, how quick they are to react to, well, so a a commentator is is unliked and he gets a thousand tweets every time he calls this Leafs game or whatever it is and you, you let that person go. Like you see how overreactive they are because there's an instant response now. That's part of what's, totally change the game much more money but they these owners feel as though there's much more risk so they make risky moves all the time to try oh. and get it right and they want to be they want to be loved you know most of these guys mm. the reason why they buy football clubs is not to make money it was you know especially back in our day they bought football clubs to be accept, accepted in society or or perhaps even give themselves a, a platform so people knew who they were and they want you know they wanted to be the, the manner at the football club that people would name were chanting i think karen was always very good because you know, David Sullivan, being a man in a male industry, you, you mean the manager comes to you and says, like, we need this, one more player, da, da, da. You would tend to say, yeah, go for it. Yeah, we can do it. I want to win games. You want to win the league. Go for it. And you make decisions that perhaps the, the, the business can't, can't afford. Whereas Karen never had that. Um, you know, she was always the business person who looked at the money. And she didn't, she didn't care what people thought of her. She didn't care about the popularity. She did it for the business reasons. And you know, the sentiment of football didn't get to her. So she was able to kind of put that aside and make decisions that were right for the business. And, you know, she's every football club they've been at, they, they actually have made profit. I think, you know, Birmingham made a profit and West Ham actually made a profit in the first couple of years. So they must be doing something right. I know the supporters are not always happy. And inevitably, her job is to make sure that the company and the club is in, in the best state, where, and when it, whether it's popular or not. Yes. Where the where Gold and Sullivan, they are into it because they want to be adored and loved and accepted. And well, why else would you buy a football club? Because it's not to make money. Because none of them do. Yeah. Well, we all know we all know how how popular the Saudis are with Craig now, right? Like Craig's accepted them completely across the board, right, Craig? <laughs> oh, you absolutely. Oh yeah, you guys are like this. The new ambassador of Saudi tourism, Craig Forrest. Oh yeah, We're, I've I've cut a deal. We're going to start a, a new PGA uh, over there as well with old <laughs> Phil, and uh, me and Mickelson. You know, we're, we're pretty good, close. We're going to do a football league over there. Drag everybody from the Premier League. Pesci's going to be the manager of all <laughs> managers. Yeah, Craig's got a, a new bone saw sponsor as well. I see in his hat, so that's good yeah, to see as that's well. Right. So, yeah, excellent. Good news. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing what, what, what winning does, right, though. I mean, the Davids and Karen were being hammered right at West Ham by the fans just, what, three years ago, I guess, now? And now suddenly it's all gone quiet, and it's a great atmosphere there, right? It, ha- it has. But, but I'll be honest with you, 
they're realists and they know that they're probably three games away from being abused again. You know, that's just that's just the, the beauty of football. Lose three games and that's it. They'll be handing them out again. Should have spent in January, should have done this, should have done that. So Craig, so Craig, that's what's football. more important right now? What's more important for West Ham? Um obviously okay, listen, obviously finishing top four would be, you know, amazing, the number one I would think. But likely not, not gonna happen this year. But winning the Europa League? I mean, what an incredible achievement that would be for those and for those fans. Wouldn't they take that? Would they take that above top four finish? A trophy they can actually say we were there when? Bang on, absolutely. And qualification into the Champions League, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, well, there's that as well. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the situation they're in right now, as opposed to maybe, you know, a month ago or so, uh, you know, the, the, the chances still of getting to where they are in this Europa League were, you know, is still a, a long shot. Uh, maybe top four was their best option. Not now. I think now you go, you know, that top four is really out of sight. The best chance, really, and I've never seen a chance like it. No disrespect to Frankfurt, but and the rest of the two teams in there, uh, Leipzig and Rangers. But this is the best chance ever, isn't it, Pesci? Oh, without a shot of a doubt. You'd have taken that draw. You'd have taken those those uh, three teams in the in the rest of the competition all day long, all day long. It almost looks as though it's written in stone. You know, but like you said, it, you know they picked up another injury. I think Diop's picked up an injury, and they are they're they're threadbare. You know, they're they're really going to have to shuffle the pack. I think they're talking about maybe maybe Declan playing um, as a center half, but you don't like splitting up the partnership with Declan and Suchek because they've been so good this season. So um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But but yeah, what what a it's an amazing achievement that they've got that far. And looking at it, there's a real possibility that they could go on and win this and, and be in the Champions League next season, which would be unbelievable considering they were fighting for relegation not too long ago. For West, I mean, is, is West Ham a big enough club that if they did qualify for the Champions League through top four or winning the Europa League, with that money, could that make them a perennial top four contender? Are they that big? Is it the stadium making enough money for them? Um, are they oh, that big God, enough yeah. Well, listen, the, the the stadium, the stadium. Listen, they got the Champions League. That would that be a game changer. Um, the owners are wealthy, and I'll be honest, they wanted to spend in January. It wasn't from the from the from the want of trying. There was money available for David Moyes to spend, but he just he he's he's very shrewd. It's almost like it's his own money. He's an old school manager, and he, he feels as though if the if I'm going to bring in a player that's not going to improve us or be better then there's no point taking, taking a chance. And they, he didn't feel as though there were players available that would improve the squad. So he'd rather stick with what he'd got. Now, that was the whole issue. But it wasn't from the want of trying. You know, they, they, they did. They were in for Diaz, but when Liverpool comes, comes calling, then, you know, what are you going to choose? That's, that's the difficulty because, um, you know, David's ambitious. He, he wants to keep West Ham fighting for these positions in the future. In order to do that, you've got to bring in quality players. So the likes of Diaz was on the radar. They made numerous bids and then Liverpool gazumped. And when Liverpool come calling, you go. So um, that's going to be the problem, um, trying to um, compete with the big boys. But if they've got Champions League football, who knows? It it could make a big difference. But, um, you know, it's a a wealthy club. Next season, I think they're able to extend the stadium to 62,000. it could go to 65, but they have to uh, change turnstiles and add some some toilets and some some other bits and pieces. But 
the stadium's been a game changer for them, for, for them as well. I know people complain because they don't they didn't like to leave Upton Park, but Craig, you've played at Upton Park. It's a dump, you know. It was a dump, and in order for the club to progress, you need a world class stadium, and they've certainly got that. Yeah, I know you're right. It, it was. It, I think what they miss is that intimacy that how tight it was you were on top of it you remember playing there I mean I played there as an away player and a player at home and it was an intense atmosphere so to go from that to a very wide open Olympic type stadium it of course it was going to be hard for the fans but now there's 30,000 more fans are getting a chance to go to the games at a very reasonable price you know kids kids get their season tickets I, I believe at you know, they're the cheapest in London, correct? They're the cheapest tickets in London. Um, yeah. cheapest, cheap, cheapest tickets in the Premier League, let alone London. Um, so that's, you know. Really? Well, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the club's really going forward in terms of what it does in the community. Now. They, they've done some amazing things. Um, people mm. don't get to hear that. Mostly I see it firsthand. Because, um, it, it, you know, the area is, um, you know, needs a lot of regeneration and, uh you know, it's a poor area and they do it. They're doing so many things in the community that are making a big difference, which is nice to see as well. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, well, if the ones that don't know London very well, but West Ham and Millwall and that connection and that working class goes back to the Docklands back in, you know, over 100 years ago. So it, it's always been a working class club, much different than some of the other ones. Fulham, hey, Fulham promoted officially, boys. Um, all right, Pesci, you're, you're yeah. a former cottager. Um, have they learned from the previous promotion and relegation and promotion and relegation and promotion and relegation? They're not Norwich. I hope so. I hope so. You know, it's a fantastic club. It really is. It, um, you know, it, it's in a posh bit of London. It's a, it's a completely different, different atmosphere than any football club I've ever been at. You know, most football clubs are in Birmingham, West Brom, when, you know, the type of supporters used to get the daily sport newspaper kind of thrown on the pitch because the wind would <laughs> blow it from the stands because that's what people were reading. At Fulham, you got the Times and the Guardian. <laughs> and they used, to, they used to literally clap the opposition when they did something good. I was like, what's going on? This has never been a football club. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic club. I hope they can stay up. I like Silva. Um, I liked him at his time at, God, where was it? Was it before Everton? Where was he before Everton? Watford, yeah. Was it Watford? He'd done a fantastic job. And again, I think he talks a lot of mm. sense. I really like him. So hopefully they can get Mitrovic firing in the Premier League for a change and can stay up because to score 40 goals in the championship is just unbelievable. But he it's just incredible. can't recreate that in the Premier League. And I can't understand why. Hopefully Silva can do that for him. Okay, from a striker standpoint, making the jump to the Premier League, Pesh, you've, you've been in it, you've seen it. What is the biggest difference between being a striker in, in the league championship compared to the Premier League? Well, the difference for Mitrovic is when you get promoted, usually your team is the, is the favourite to be relegated. So you create less opportunities, you're thinking about not, con- not conceding goals. So it's a heck of a lot striker. Any, you know... Any team that gets promoted, their striker, if they can score double figures, it's it's miraculous. So it's a heck of a lot harder. Had Mitrovic maybe played for a team that creates loads of chances in the top six, he might have scored goals. So that's the, the biggest difference. But actually, in the Premier League, you do get more time on the ball. Championships are really hard, hard division to play in because defenders don't give you the respect because um, they don't think you're 
as good as a Premier League player because if, if you were if you were to give time and space, I'm I'm, I'm completely confusing myself here. A strike in the championship, you're not going. You're not going to get any time and space. They they don't think they, that you can turn on an instant, so they just come straight up your butt. But if you did that to a Premier League player, they would turn you and, and 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 score goals. So as you go up in levels, you do get more time, um, but the opportunities are few and far between because your teams tend to be a little bit more poor. If that makes any sense. For anybody who doesn't know, the Sunday sport is pretty much nothing about sport. <laughs> oh they're good sports all right a lot, lot of yeah. numbers hey hey pesci remember uh steven steven bywater he had an article on the sunday sport did you ever hear about that which was his article well he was he was down in spain so he this is back in the day before the internet and all easy access like that and he phones me up <laughs> and he says big man you know he's like right the Crazy my room as well. I always I know. get the goalkeeper, the crazy goalkeepers. I yeah, know I know. So he follows him up. He says, there's an article in the Sunday Sport, apparently, about me and this bird. And can you go see what it's all, you know, what they've, they've written about it? So I go, okay. So I go get the Sunday Sport. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's an article in here. So I'm reading it to him, right? And, you know, it was like that. this bird says, oh, the whole thing, like, for play, you know, he was this. He 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 had an eight-inch <laughs> cock, and he he went for four hours. And then he, and then he goes to me, he goes, you know, that's a lie, right? And I went, yeah, I know it's a lie. I I've been with you in the shower. What are you talking about? Did I he love the way off? I love the way Craig paused after eight inch. As if he's not going to say the next word, right? But then he said "cock" anyway. <laughs> like he was debating what, what part of the anatomy to describe. Yeah. What's it? A, what, what's yeah. a polite way of saying uh, oh, "cock"? There we go, "cock." Yeah, yeah. yeah well, he was hilarious. He was nuts. He was. Yeah. He was an absolute lunatic. Yeah. Remember that uh, when you guys got promoted for with Darby? I remember. I think I talked to you guys the night before because you guys phoned me because you were bored out of your skulls, right? And then the next next time you guys, then you win it. And there's a great clip on, guys, if anybody pulls it up on YouTube, with you and Stevie doing an interview in the dressing room. And when he's doing his, you're firing talcum powder into his face. And, <laughs> and it was unbelievable. And he didn't, he just kind of wiped it off. And he, it, it, he just kept going. He's absolutely <laughs> An absolute classic. Hey, listen, fellas, we're tight for time today. We're going to get Pesci on again, though, again soon and get some great, some of those great stories from uh, Canada days as well. But uh, before we leave today, Wonga, it is that time of the show we have to get to. It is. Footy picks. It's footy picks. It's footy, <laughs> it's footy picks. On footy prime. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. You know, everyone's big on gambling now. We can't afford jingles, so these guys sing it for us. Unfortunately, hey, uh, Pesci, <laughs> the, you probably never knew this, but Dickio, that was he used to sing that and like just the worst, which made he'd, it he'd even just better. Own it, so. Wouldn't he? He'd own, <laughs> he'd it. own it. Own All it. Right, well, what yeah. do we have today? Arsenal United. Here are the odds, boys. So Arsenal's at home. Right. This is the early game on Saturday. Arsenal's at home. They're getting 15 cents. So that's uh, plus 115 for Arsenal. United, um, no faith, plus 240, which is the same as the draw, plus 240. All right, Craig, what are you thinking of this one? Very quickly. Well, after the Arsenal uh, result against Chelsea, I'm going to say they're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, 3-1. 
Okay. Yeah, what a match that was. That was crazy. Uh, Pesci, your intro into footy picks. What are you thinking for this one? Arsenal 2-1. I go Arsenal 2-0. Yeah, no faith for United. And, and why should we give them any kind of bloody faith? The Gunners coming off uh, three losses in the hop, looking much better, competing for fourth place. So, yeah, I'm going Gunners to... Um, 3-0. I'm just saying that they've just, you know, just given up on everything. So 3-0 Arsenal. Wow, we're all taking the Gunners, which means United's going to win for sure. <laughs> I know. That 15 cents was too much to say no to. Uh, it really was. Wonger, what was your second game? Chelsea West Ham. Oh, Chelsea Ooh, West Ham. Okay. Ah, the uh, the <laughs> internal Craig Forrest Derby, having played for both clubs. Well, I'd like to hear Pesci's uh, on this, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll give him some advice. Don't go against West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's not the first time he's heard that or, or le- learned that advice. Sleep it on the couch. There's seven weeks and count will be like four years if I said Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the lines. Well, you can steer away from Chelsea because, I mean, who wants to lay 88 cents with the juice? It's minus 188 for Chelsea. West Ham are plus 500. Five to one to win away from home and uh, plus 320, which is good value for the draw. All right. Um, Pesci, let's start with you. What are you thinking? Antonio's going to be on fire. Two nil. What's that? Mm. There you go. Um, Pinocchio, I'll say um, two, two. Two two. Okay, Desmond's all right. You know we know it's time for the show to end because Craig's got the delay back. Yeah, uh, Pesci's uh, well, internet's cracking, and um, well, B's told us he's got to be done by uh, eight twenty anyway. So uh, that that's why. But yeah, I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'll go for the draw on this one. I'll go for the draw on this one. Uh, one one. I was gonna say one one. So can we both say one one? We're allowed, right? We can both say that. We're allowed to say that. Yeah, we have chemistry. You see, on air <laughs> chemistry. All right, fellas. Hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Uh, Pesci, thanks so much once again. Craig, you can't talk because your delay is like off the charts right now. It's got to be. <laughs> we see your mouth moving. It's 18 but seconds. We hear nothing. Yeah. You're still on Tuesday. Now it's like, yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Um, that was Footy Prime. Make sure you subscribe and like and do not listen to our picks on Footy Picks because we're in the hole a shitload. All right. Bye. <laughs>